Welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, you guys. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful week, another wonderful episode that we have lined up for you. Uh, real quick, before we jump in, I just want to do my due diligence and say thank you so much to the community out there. Um, as of yesterday, we're... Um, yesterday uh recording on the third because you guys aren't going to hear this on the third right uh, <laughs> but we have reached a pretty big milestone we've hit our thousand downloads and yeah it's just been, thank you guys so much it means the world to us and yeah thank you for your continued support and here's to another thousand more all right so like we do every week we like to throw out some joyous plugs out there to spread some love in the world so why don't you start us out chris with your joyous plugs um, I got two. So first off, I've just been plugging away at Xeno Gears, and I gotta say, it's it real. I see why people say it's a pinnacle for the console. Um, it's amazing, and I'm truly loving it. Even though it's getting a little too deep for me right now, but hmm. it's really good. Um, and another thing too, and this is kind of a well. By the time this episode's up, it already been about probably a week. Uh, we got our first video yeah. posted on YouTube. Uh, in it, we're going over indie demos that we played during Next Fest. And in the first video, I kind of go over three. Uh, I go over Death Trash, Terran Nail, and Baron Breakfast. And overall, I really enjoyed those games. Um, I think I actually, it, it was a lot of fun doing these little tiny mini reviews for demos and i really hope to keep this series alive even after we finish the demos that we have it'd be cool to just have i don't know a playlist of demo reviews because mm -hmm. i mean there's so many interesting things coming out that it'd be cool to showcase them yeah, and we're just going to give you guys that much more content to absorb and enjoy. Not only will we just have our podcast with purely audio, we have our blogs on our website that we will be constantly updating. And then now we are also branching into videos too. So now you have pretty much any source of media that you want to absorb and enjoy. We got you covered. Don't you worry. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Oh, man. So I uh, actually just finished watching Loki. Uh, oh, nice. And OK, so I have to kind of put a little stamp on this, I guess. Like I, I skipped watching the Avengers movies. I know. Bad nerd. Wow. But they like I watched the first one. and I was like, OK, whatever. I'm kind of over it. Uh, it just because it felt like there was no like there's no weight behind their decisions. It, like they're going to win. Right. Like it wasn't yeah. really like a huge like, oh, my God, moments ever for me. Uh, but Loki was really, really good. It was really fun. And the I mean, the one caveat or one issue I had with the show in general was the fact that, I mean, Loki's killed like millions of people. And then now all of a sudden we're supposed to just really care about this guy. It it makes it kind of hard and a little jarring. I know that he has his arc in the movies where he kind of becomes more friends with Thor and starts to kind of repent for the things that he did in the past. But Loki's still Loki, right? Like he no matter what, like 
you can't really forgive all the crap that he did. But regardless of that, this show is really great. Um, I like the way that they kind of tied it into a potential new main villain for the MCU, which is hmm. really cool. Uh, but I'm I'm curious of how they're going to continue doing that going forward. Um, I, is the MCU going to be now continued through shows rather than just big box office movies? Because uh, I don't think we're going to see another like Thanos level series of movies. So I'm wondering if all these shows are going to kind of tie in and maybe they'll do like a like a mini series or a min, like one season spinoff of all the shows kind of coming together to tackle this next big bad, which would be interesting because the show is like the same quality of the movies. Like they're very well done. So I don't know. I'm curious about it. I'm excited to see what comes from it. But yeah, watch Loki. It's really fun. It's actually a good point. I've only seen up to the first two episodes, but I i mean, I like villain redemption arcs and I feel like that's kind of where it's headed. Mm-hmm. But your your thought on like them just making shows instead of movies, it's I feel like it's better because you're able to really like dive deeper into the stories. It's not just straight action like the movies. Yeah. And personally, I would probably like shows better. Mm hmm. Just because I feel like the movies are just, there's too much going on, and it's it's just yeah. a straight line. You know, there's right. no, like, jumping around. You don't understand anything better. And Stuff feels rushed, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I, th- I feel like... At, like, with the things that happened in Endgame, I feel like a lot of that stuff would have had more weight if it was in a show format. Because they would have had time to really you know, play out the family connections and like all them trying to just be regular people and just live their life and then have this like really shitty thing happen to all of them. So I feel like in a show format, they would have had the time to expand on that. Yeah, I think from what I remember hearing their next big focus was like more like the the magic side, like Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. WandaVision. So it'll be interesting if they like focus more on that side of it because that's actually the side that i actually really find interesting yeah and it's kind of crazy too like when you look at the whole universe as a whole or whole universe as a whole right (laughs) (laughs) the the the, these magical people like um wanda who's what scarlet witch right and uh you have dr strange as well like these guys literally have magic they they change time and space around them they've reached holy shit god tier mode right like Captain America and these people, they just can't hold a candle to those kind of characters. And I always found it weird that in the movies, they really like these characters are getting the shit kicked out of them. And I'm like, well, you're a fucking time wizard, right? Like you have magic and you're getting beat up by a brute. It just doesn't really make sense to me. So that's why I'm curious to see where they go with it. And it's going to run into that same issue that Dragon Ball Z has where the next villain just has to be stronger. No matter what, it's it's just going to be a continued thing going on over and over again. And not to say that's a big issue with Dragon Ball Z because I fucking love Dragon Ball Z and you just kind of accept that fact. But it's running into that same thing where it's basically Marvel is the Shonen Jump for America where you just have like a storyline that's like 400 500 like series or episodes long like it just keeps going and then every villain that they encounter is just stronger than the next and it's just the next step up and just keeps going that way progressively I agree with that. I could see that. Yeah. 
But regardless, I'm excited to see what happens. And it's kind of cool to have Disney Plus now and uh, be able to actually absorb some of that content that I passed up on in the past. All right. So today we're going to be going into a game, a wonderful game, one that is some might say it's legendary. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be talking about The Legend of Dragoon today. Uh this game came out in 1999. Uh, it is a JRPG. It's a fantastic little title, uh, beautifully made. Uh, some people even said it could have been the Final Fantasy killer, but that is actually not what the studio had in mind for the title. It was supposed to just be one game, and that's it. But because of the fans uh, kind of asking for it, then they started trying to put in production a second one, and that didn't really work out. But before we go into all of that, let's start out for the people who don't know what Legend of Dragoon is and kind of give them a little synopsis of the story. So why don't you take it away, Chris? So in the beginning of the game, uh, your main character is Dart, and he is going back to his hometown they don't really say where he was coming from, but on his way there, he was attacked by a dragon and he gets saved by this mysterious woman. Uh, we find out it was Rose. And on the way back to his hometown, he realizes that it was destroyed. And questioning around, he finds out that it was the Sandora army. And he goes to the next castle to figure out, like, why? You know, why would they attack a small town? It makes no sense. And basically, the king tells him, hey, like, if you want more info, like, you're going to have to help us defend the fort. So when they do that, the story starts kind of, like, expanding at that point because you're realizing there's more at play. You... When you get to, like, the next major town, you meet the main antagonist, Lloyd. And nothing is really said about him. He's just there. He's evil. And, I mean, I don't want to go into too heavy spoilers, but I will get into some. Mm. And, basically, he's trying to collect these moon artifacts. And I think there was, yeah, there was three. And... When you collect all three of these, it destroys a seal. And in this seal, it's it's like the god of destruction, right? Mm -hmm. So these items are keeping that destructive power at bay. And he's trying to undo that seal because he is being whispered in his ear that, oh, the world needs to be cleansed. It needs to be fixed. So he's on this mission to break that seal. So basically throughout the game, you're collecting dragon spirits from dragons that you defeat, which unlocks your limit break power of turning into a dragon. Mm -hmm. And it actually looks really cool. Like, I really like this idea because it just it, it takes the limit break system and does something different with it. And... Basically, you're going on this long adventure trying to find Lloyd and trying to prevent him from getting these artifacts. And spoilers at this point, it doesn't work. And, you know, the world starts getting more unstable. And then towards the end, it's just like an apocalypse. Like you're you're basically having to undo all these things Lloyd did. And it's just it gets crazy. I 
honestly was really surprised by the story because in the beginning, kind of like what I was like talking about, it seems very classic JRPG. You know, your town gets attacked, you try to figure out why, and then the story unfolds. But once the story unfolds in this game, it really it took a much different approach than I thought and actually got darker than I thought too, which was cool because mm-hmm. I feel like back then RPGs were a little bit darker in their storytelling, but I feel, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it in this game just because I always heard so many people praise it. And I feel like when it comes to that, a lot of people don't like that dark kind of story, but it was actually really good in this game. Like, I really don't understand why this game wasn't like commercially bigger than it was. Right. Yeah. I mean, the storyline behind it is so vast and there's just so much going on with it. Um, There's actually a couple things I wanted to touch on. And granted, this is going to be kind of a spoiler episode uh, just because you can't really do a deep dive into a game without spoiling some stuff. Right. But this is a game from 99. And I feel like us talking about some of these topics is going to not ruin the story, but actually make it more appealing to people, in my opinion. Uh, so there's two like main, like I guess, like deity people in the game, right? There's the mm-hmm. moon child and then there's the black knight, right? Is black that- monster. Black monster. That's what it was. So those two characters are very, very crucial to this, this, this whole story. Right. And the like the whole idea is the black monster is there to bring about the end of the world. Right. That's what people believe. That's the lore that's been ingrained in their system. But then they have the moon child who um, actually was I think what the lore says that it's the savior. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I love what this game does where it like once again, I'm just going to say spoilers like there's a there's a twist at the end there that completely flips what you're thinking, right? And it just changes everything that you have to go off of and just makes it that much more of a crazy story to deal with. Um, so the Moonchild actually is not great, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it, right? Um, and the, one of the powers that the Moonchild has is the power of manipulation over people. And it it's really interesting that one of the characters that you're playing with, uh, what's her name? Shauna, right? Shana, yeah. Shana. She's actually the Moonchild, right? And uh, she has the ability to, even if she might not know it, she's able to manipulate people um, behind the scenes and get them to just kind of join along with her and fight with her and just kind of be a part of her party. Um, and one of the big theories that I heard, I'm curious about what you think about this. Like there is a love interest between Shanna and Dart, right? Like they mm-hmm. they build up a relationship. You even go on a date with her at one point in the game, similar to Final Fantasy VII, right? Going out on a date and having some fun mid-game. I love that part with Barrett. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Oh my gosh. I did the Barrett thing too because I had to. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun that way. But what the theory is that I found really interesting was that She the only reason why that relationship was there to begin with is because she's the moon child and she manipulated Dart without him knowing. And because she doesn't really realize what she's doing, she thinks it's real and genuine as well. 
So I'm curious of what you feel about that, because it's it's one of those that and you have a lot more time with the game. So I'm wondering if there's more like hints to that or something to kind of build up on that as well. But I, I feel like that's kind of a crazy idea to think about, because that kind of throws the whole game for a loop there. If this relationship really is just her manipulation powers at work. I actually didn't think about it like that. Uh I mean, now that you say it, I can kind of see it because there were times that it felt kind of almost forced. Mm-hmm. I feel like with Shayna, her interests were really conflicted. Like, genuinely, I think she really did care about him. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as time goes on and every time you fight a visage, which is like these beings that kind of work with the moon child and um they're like the bringers of destruction i guess you could say or the the fighters against dragons because in this game it's the dragons and black monster versus moon child Mm -hmm. every time you see a visage she gets like this weird like flash and it's like a painful like you can tell like something's up with her and I think in those moments, that's when she starts getting controlled. Like, I can see that point of view now. Because before, like, honestly, when I played it, I was like, oh, she just really loves him. It's genuine, all of this kind of stuff. But there were parts in dialogue throughout the story that were kind of like, hmm. It's almost like a, a switch got flipped or something. Right. And it's actually, wow, that, that would be a really different viewpoint on it. Yeah, because I'm wondering if, like, okay, maybe her feeling towards Dart was genuine, right? Maybe she actually did care about him, but because it's like that love potion idea, right? She felt for him, and because of her powers that she has available to her, now she is making him feel for her, right? And since he's, you know, the main hero, the protagonist, and he's the ultimate, like, the one that's going to help her out the most... That's why their connection is so strong, because he has the ability to get her, uh, get the moon child to the angle, even if she's not realizing what she's doing. So I don't know. It's it was a really interesting theory that I really liked. And it reminds me a lot of these stories or these shows that have kind of like that dystopian idea behind them. Like if you look at like, a let's say Ergo Proxy, right, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. show that I recommend to everybody. Everybody should watch this because it's it's short. It's one season and you'll get an amazing story out of it. But all those dystopian stories have the same concept where there's this greater good that everyone follows, that everyone is willing to fight for and give their life for and like just to keep the peace. Right. But. What behind the scenes, you start realizing that this ultimate good or what they're fighting for isn't exactly what it seems to be. And there is some, you know, it's it's straight up evil and it's actually the one bringing about all the chaos that's out there. Uh, it's similar to what, you know, like Age of Ultron in Avengers, if you want to go make that connection to you, where he I'm on an Avengers kick right now. <laughs> but the, the fact that he was supposed to be the shield of the Earth. Right. And in order to do that, he wanted to get rid of choice. Right. So it's very interesting to kind of see that where like the idea of manipulating people into feeling that this is important and like this is going to protect them 
even if it's ultimately hurting them. It, it's cool to see a story from like 1999, especially in games, having such a deep story like that is really interesting to see for me, at least. Um, the fact that they were able to expand on that and make something happen with that. Yeah, I mean, well, since we're talking about spoilers, I mean, it's interesting, too, when you add in the dynamic with Rose, you know, like halfway through, you realize that it's the other being. Mm -hmm. And it's it really, it plays an interesting dynamic because that's when, like, when you bring that up, being manipulated, it kind of, it almost goes both ways. It's really interesting. Like, you really feel like Dart was being manipulated in, like, both sides. But, yeah. because yeah, you have I both mean, parties, or both, like, you have both competing deities in your party, right? Yeah. That's, which is, that's crazy to me. Like, that's such a cool idea to have in your game, where, like, these ultimate powers that you're either fighting for or fighting against, and you think that it's, outside of your realm right you feel like it's a goal that you're going to go reach or a person that you're looking for but really they're right there with you the whole time they're your friends they're your companions and i feel like when all that gets revealed that's just what leads to such a strong impactful moment of realization right and just makes it that much more impactful overall because it's not just like it's not something that you're experiencing it's it's more connection to you. It's your friends. Imagine if your friend was the one that you've been protecting this whole time and working with and running with and, and battling with. And then it turns out like, oh, shit, you're the one that I was supposed to kill. <laughs> like, I had no idea. Right. So that's such a crazy and smart and interesting way of doing this story. Yeah, because, I mean, Rose knew all along. I think like with Sheena, it was different because she didn't really realize until later on in the story like what was going on. And then by then, you know, she was being already kind of like her mindset was changing. Mm -hmm. But this also brings up a viewpoint of the party members, which I thought it's cool because they all kind of had their own personality and kind of stood out. I mean, maybe not Kongol too much, but... <laughs> the big uh, brute of a man that's so slow you can't attack him with him before... Dude, back. when you first get him, though, his attacks just dominate. It's like... 400 damage like you're able to like one hit KO most things like it was nice even though I didn't really use him like I think out of all the party members I didn't use him that much which sucks because it he seemed kind of interesting with his moves and but going back to the party members it's cool because I felt like they all had kind of like a deep story to them which Sometimes in JRPGs, you notice that party members don't really have like a whole lot of story going on with them. They're just kind of joining you and then that's it. They don't really go into a deep history of like who they were or, you know, before they jumped in your party. And it's interesting because you feel like you really get to know your party members, like Miro being, you know, wingly and it's like it's. It was really cool. It was a breath of fresh air because I've been playing a lot of RPGs lately and there's times where people just join your party for, you know, temporary reasons or even for prolonged reasons. And I'm just like, well, what's your connection? Like, are you just there to join 
the party and save the world? Like, is that it? Like, I want to know more about this party member. But I really loved it. I I thought the people were really cool in it. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. <laughs> hey man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. Ugh. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. <laughs> All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee. So another thing that I really loved about this game was the battle system, which was really different compared to most of the games I've played recently, or even in the past. Uh, before I played this, I was playing through Grandia, which is more your typical RPG. And then I jumped into this, and you have to press buttons while you're battling. And I thought it was really cool because it makes you more... It makes you feel inside the battle. And I mean, yeah, at times it does get kind of annoying because you just want the battles to end already. And you're like, God damn it, I have to keep pressing this stupid button over and over. But for the most part, I actually really liked it. I It did get annoying at times just because certain characters, their moves, it's like I would press the button at the right time and it would still miss. And I was like, come on. Like, it was in the box. Give it to me already. Right. But I thought it was a really cool system, like learning your additions or skills by having to use your old ones more and more. And the cool thing about that, too, is so every time you use one of these moves, like they all have different amounts of SP that you earn. And with the SP, it gives you it fills up your like dragoon meter, your limit break. And but there's a hidden thing behind it. There's a certain amount of SP that you have to learn or gain in order to unlock the next edition mm. and i mean for the most part it seems like you just kind of max out an edition and you kind of get the next one just because you need that much sp mm -hmm. but i actually enjoyed it so much i tried to force myself to have them learn all their editions 
Uh, I didn't do it for Congol. That's why I'm saying, well, <laughs> I didn't really focus on him. I got his two. But everybody else, I just, it was a lot of fun. And it's fun because I thought I was going to hate this system. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I played this on an emulator, by the way. I have the game. The discs are really scratched. So they don't, a disc two doesn't really work. So there's that point. And with that, I like the the fast forward feature with the emulator. Mm. It can't really do that in the battle system like this. Yeah, so it it made me like really slow down my pace, but it was it was still fun. And you know, you don't really see this kind of battle system too much. And I mean, that's why I'm really happy that I'm playing Xenogears now because it kind of has that same system. Instead of timed buttons, you just do button combos. But it still gives me that feeling. And I really think it was a good jump between games. Yeah, I, I agree. But, I mean, that system is fantastic for especially for JRPGs, right? Like it's one of those that majority of the time when you play a JRPG, I can see why certain people might not be drawn to them. Right. It's it's basically you're navigating different menu systems, right, in order yeah. to fight and you're taking turns and whatnot. But this game really expands on that and it really plays up the idea of actually being a part of the battle instead of just watching these characters perform actions right so you're you're actually fighting the battle instead of watching the battle and it does it really well the addition system is fantastic it reminds me of the limit break system in final fantasy 7 where the more you use something the better it's going to become and it's one of those things that's not really well laid out to the character or to the player in my opinion but it is nice to start when you finally do realize that you can unlock newer and better abilities it makes it really cool. And one thing that I noticed with the addition system that I think is really great, at least, um, I feel like maybe it can get a little fatiguing, especially with a long game like this. But one of the things that's great about it is that during your longer laid out combos, when you're trying to get to the end, the enemy has a chance to counter. Mm -hmm. And you have to actually count. You have to like react to their counter in order to continue your combo train going. So you're not just learning a rhythm and hitting that rhythm constantly. You actually have to be engaged in the battle, which is so cool to me. And it makes it so like such an interesting system to learn and to expand on. And then it does the great anime moment when you finally hit the end of your combo where the character, which they're voice acted, which is amazing for 1999, right? actually screams out the name of their combo <laughs> or the ending like sequence of it which i think is just hilarious and it just really plays up the whole anime trope behind it um it just yeah what a great system in my opinion because i agree that like, jrpgs can get a little stale after a while especially if you're doing like 80 hours of just navigating menus and it, it can get a little boring after a little bit. Or maybe there's a day where you're just not in the mood and you want something to be a little bit faster paced. Well, thank God for emulators nowadays. But it's one of those things that wasn't around then. So what did they do? They found a way to make it more interactive for the player. And I think that actually was an issue that they were addressing with the Western market. Right. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of you can see it now with like, let's say, Monster Hunter World. So the, the with the typical JRPGs, they weren't like they did well in the Western market, but they didn't do amazing in the Western market. Right. And a lot of people convey that to the fact that 
us here, we want more action. We want more shooters. We want more like in the moment fighting rather than just witnessing something laid out in front of us. So I feel like that system was put into place to counteract any issues that might come up that way so that this could be more of like a global success rather than just one in the Asian market. So I think it's really interesting to see that they were able or that they were that progressive at that point to try and make something a little bit more with global appeal. Similar, like like I said, to Monster Hunter, where like the original Monster Hunter games, they've been around for a while, but it's there's a really big gate blocking those games. Like they're very hard. They're very menu intensive. There's a lot going on in the background. And Monster Hunter World found a way to still have that functionality but simplify it to the point and give it to you in smaller nuggets and kind of enhance the action that you're doing so that it had a wider audience appeal and then it slowly started introducing more of like the nitty-gritty mechanics to you so that it just made it that much more interesting or you felt more successful with the things that they were giving you instead of just kind of hiding it behind the scenes so i feel like that's what dragoon was trying to do with this addition uh, mechanic of having it where it's more action oriented and making it more of a global appeal kind of game. And I think they hit it right in the head and you can see the inspiration from this system in other RPGs later on, like um, what, uh, Lost, Lost Odyssey, right? Like they have yeah. a similar system to it. It's not as expansive as the addition system where it's literally just, you know, the circle closes in, you hit it, cool, boom, you get a crit. Great. Good job. But this one really, really played it up where you have to pay attention to your combos and made it you more part of the action, which I think in turn made you care more about the characters and care more about their timing. And, their you know, it just it it gave you a different type of connection to the, the party that you're playing with. Yeah, and I think, you know touching on like how it was different from like for western people i think it makes sense because when you look at games back then any of like the western released rpgs which at that point i mean they didn't really have like elder scrolls and fallout existed they were just the the older styles the more like isometric well in 99 at least for fallout baldur's gate came out the same year that dragoon came Mm. out baldur's gate came out so i think that was kind of their way of countering that kind of a game yeah and i mean like you were saying with jrpgs it was like kind of like a a hit or miss a lot of the times you know i mean final fantasy 7 had a great release because i mean it, it pushed the graphical boundaries to some extent but when it comes to game like rpgs that didn't a lot of them just kind of got brushed away because they weren't you know they weren't a boulder's gate they weren't um cow what's another big one from back then i mean you got your pc western rpgs and crpgs but it's like i mean like everquest came out in 99 bolters came out in 99 like some really big rpgs everquest came out then final fantasy 8 also dropped in 99 like 99 was filled with the games that were really pushing it chrono cross at the same time um shenmue as well like this was a that came out in 90 oh wow yeah so like this was a year of big rpgs so you had to do something different to really stand out and i feel like this edition system was the perfect way to make legend of dragoon stand out in a in a unique way to gain a 
different type of audience, but still appease to the more traditional JRPG audience as well. I honestly think if it would have came out a year before, it might have done a lot better because I didn't realize all those big hitters were coming out that year. Like, wow, that's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of plays into a little bit why that game didn't do as well as they had hoped. But we can get into that a little bit more later on in the episode at the end there. Um, real quick, I want to touch bases on like we would be completely remiss if we didn't touch bases on the artwork for this game. Now, this game was beautiful for a PS1 release. Like this game is insane. The artwork went to, the the models were actually great. When you compare what we saw like from Final Fantasy VII to this, right? Like this this game was a direct like reaction to Final Fantasy. Right. And the character models were fantastic. Well thought out. The color contrasts were great, which gave everybody their own unique style and made it really easy for them to be read on the screen. Um, the CGI animations were fantastic. The voice acting was really, really surprising. Um, it's not like, holy shit, amazing. It's voice acting in a game. Right. And especially back then. But the fact that they had something like that in a game in 99, it was really, really well done. And really fun to watch, right? And like just the sceneries, I think the biggest thing that got me when looking at the backgrounds and the images of the world that you're traversing is the lighting in the game. The way that they did their lighting just brought those environments to life. And it reminds me of how Unreal changes the way that we view games nowadays with like ray tracing and all that. Like this was the ray tracing of the 90s, right? Like th like this was a game that really pushed the limits of environment, lighting, and just this general stages that you're walking around. And it it showed what that console could do. And I feel like this really gave us everything that the PS1 could possibly give. I, I'm i a sucker for rendered backgrounds. So it, for me, like, the game, like, graphically, it it was good. You know, it's, I look at comparing it to other RPGs at the time. I mean, before 99, like, to me, it really would have stuck out, I think. Like, if you're, I see a comparison a lot between this and Final Fantasy VIII, since they were both released the same year. Yeah. And, you know, the character models look more realistic in eight, And I think a lot of people judge it against, against that game. Because they're like, well, why didn't it look that good? But because the game was in production for so long, it, you know, you have to think about, well, it would have looked amazing the year it was being worked on. Right. But. I still think the game looks great. Like I, I love just early PlayStation graphics. So, and it wasn't blocky. It wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. You know, we've definitely seen a bunch of RPGs at the time that were just not well done. And I feel like a lot of the maps and stuff are just really drawn out. Well, it's, I was kind of surprised by it. Honestly, I was expecting, not so great graphics yeah i would almost say that the graphics when compared to final fantasy 8 are a little bit more timeless in dragoon where it's almost more forgiving in a sense 
Um, like, yeah, sure, Final Fantasy VIII went for more of the realistic look, but I feel like at that point, like, then all of the things that are kind of break that realism stand out that much more, right? Like, with their hands, mm-hmm. how their fingers don't move and everything, it's just, like, big blocky things moving around. Like, it, it looks goofy because of how realistic they were trying to make the player models. But then with Dragoon, they w- didn't do as realistic. Like, it still looks... I feel like that is what is contributing to the fact that even now, like, sure, it's a PS1 game, so there's a lot of graphical issues, but it still looks great when playing it. Yeah, actually, uh, what I like doing when I play these kind of games, I like to upscale them to kind of see how they would look like as a 4K or mm-hmm. 1080p. And so I have a setting like on Duck Station where it does that. And I upscaled the game and I'll be honest, the character models when they're upscaled look really damn good. Yeah. It, it, I was really surprised because a lot of times with this era, the, the style, when they're upscaled, they don't look good. Like you start really seeing like the problems the model has, but in this, it looked good. You know, to me, like one of the best games to upscale that I've seen was Parasite Eve. Like the characters look night and day different. Mm-hmm. And and this game kind of hit that for me, too. I was like, wow. I mean, it didn't really upscale the backgrounds that much, so they still looked kind of, you know, old, which is what you expect. But I was really surprised just by the upscaling. Like, wow, like, these are really clean. Yeah. And, I mean, it shows you, like, hey, like, the game, it was done well. Yeah. You know, if... If they ever wanted to port it over, I mean, they wouldn't have to do too much. No, I agree. And I think one of the things that people need to remember as well is that because this game was started development in 1996, um, it was made to be viewed only on CRTVs. The idea of HD and all that stuff wasn't a thing, right? So mm-hmm. that's why a lot of the th- these images, even if they're upscaled, they look better, but they might not be great. And I've heard some complaints that whenever people upscale it, you can see the borders and boundaries of the, the map. So it doesn't like stretch past the screen. It just goes right up to the screen. Um, so yeah. whenever you expand it, of course, you're going to see edging and clipping and all that fun stuff, right? But it's how were they supposed to know, right? So you can't fault them for those kind of things. For those yeah. kind of graphical issues. And regardless, this game does look great and it still stands the test of time, in my opinion. It's a fantastic title that everyone should be checking out. But I feel like this is a good time to go into why we aren't seeing more Legend of Dragoon out there. Why we don't have a remake, why there isn't a sequel, or why the sequel even failed to begin with. Uh, do you have any thoughts or maybe a theory at least to why maybe this game didn't do as well as they planned well i know it had a good marketing uh plan because i remember seeing in magazines a lot Mm -hmm. uh i think honestly it was the um just the timing Mm -hmm. you know 1999 like you said there were a lot of big games coming out and it the graphics, even though they were good, you know, comparing it to other games at the time, it it was that one little notch down. And back then, I mean, people still are crazy about graphics, but nowadays people can kind of let it slide. Whereas back then, people wanted the latest, greatest, good looking game. Right. And I mean, to me, I could kind of see why people would be like, oh, I mean, 
it looks cool, but why would I play that when I can play, you know, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VIII or something like that? And, I mean, I think that contributes to it as a lot. I also just think that it it didn't get as good of reviews as it should have. Like, it got, like... It got, like, medium scores. I think from what I saw, it was a lot of, like, six and sevens. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, I mean, to me, I think it deserves higher than that. I think it's easily, like, an eight or a nine. But I think it was just kind of a mixture of those two. Yeah. But what do you think? So from the research that I've done, I mean, this game was developed by Japan Studio, right? And it came out in 99, and it had to go up against some really heavy hitters. So that definitely did impact the overall success of this game. But when you look at the sales, it sold a million copies. And in 99, that's pretty damn good, right? So it actually mm-hmm. hit a million copies. Now, the issue that the studio ran into, there's a couple things. One, first of all, I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, is the fact that there was no plan for a second Legend of Dragoon. This was supposed to be just one game and end the story. That was the original idea, right? Um, but then fans uh, started to enjoy it and they started asking for a second one so they decided okay well let's put it on the docket and see what we can do see how sales go and then determine if we're going to actually push forward with this game because they also paid 16 million dollars to make this that's a big investment for 99 yeah yeah that's huge so now majority of the sales for legend dragoon were actually in the western market they were from the united states which is really interesting because i feel like that is something that they were trying to do at least that's what it appears to be because of the way that they updated the system and made it more action oriented right so Mm -hmm. but actually japan studio that wasn't their goal they weren't trying to break into the Western market. They were trying to make an innovative new JRPG. So because the majority of their sales were in the U.S. and not in Japan, which was their target audience, they actually scrapped Legend of Dragon 2 because it didn't do successful in the market that they were actually looking at. They weren't paying attention to the Western market. They were more focused on the Japanese market, which at that time makes sense because majority of JRPGs were bought in Japan, right? That's why they're called JRPGs. That's the kind of the whole reason for it. So because of that, they ended up scrapping Legend of Dragon 2 and just kind of letting the game end the way it was supposed to. There was not supposed to be a second and they kind of just held true to that. Like there was no reason for them because they ended the story. It had a good, clean ending and everything finished. The only reason why a second one even was even thought about was because the Western market was saying, hey, we really enjoy this game. Where's number two? So it's it's kind of crazy. So when people ask like what happened to, you know, the sequel? Well, nothing because there wasn't supposed to be a sequel. I mean, it ends on a really, really good conclusion. Honestly, like, compared to a lot of the RPGs I've played recently, like, it ended perfectly. I I could not find... Because I was reading a lot of people saying, like, oh, I'm still hoping for a sequel and stuff like that, even to this day. And I'm like, there's nothing they can really pull from that. No, th- you know, maybe they could make something with the same style, but you can't really continue that story. Like it, it fully concluded. Yeah. And like, I'm a person that always wants more, you know, if there's a game I really like, I want more of it. But 
this is one of those games where I'm like, I'm very happy I beat it. I was happy to enjoy an amazing story, but I don't need another because when sequels happen for like movies like this or games like this, it's like they're almost never good because they're not going to have one, the same charm Two, if the story concluded in the first, they're going to be digging for different things to make the sequel happen. And usually that's not good. And I mean, I would love to see maybe like an HD remaster or hell, even a remake would be kind of cool. But at the same time, it's like, it's such a timeless piece that, I mean, I beat this game last month and it still holds up. Like it, it holds up better than a lot of RPGs you can play now. And yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where it's at. Yeah. I feel like the conversation that we should be having, we shouldn't be talking about a sequel or anything like that. The conversation that needs to be had is based off of game conservation, right? Yeah. We need to find a way to keep this game alive and make it available for people to continue playing. That's the conversation that needs to be had, not, oh, where is the sequel? Where is part two? Because what's crazy to think about, like, if we made a sequel today, right? If one came out today, all of the big fanboys for Legend of Dragoon would be disappointed. You would be. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you're that they're going to be able to relive and rehash that hype and keep it at that same level that your child brain has put this game at, right? Like, there's no way that this game is going to uphold to all of the hype of 22 years of asking for a sequel. It's just not going to happen. So the best we can ask for, and I think the smartest thing would be an HD remaster or even a slight remake. But the problem with a remake too is I think what holds most of the charm for that game is that addition system. And if it gets a a complete remake now, they're going to remove that. Or it's going to be changed to something more like Final Fantasy VII's remake where it's a lot more action-oriented. And then you lose all that charm. So I think the conversation needs to be changed from where's the sequel to where's the remaster and why can't I play this on my newer consoles, right? That's the bigger argument. Even if it was just ported. I mean, it was on the PS3, like, digitally, you know? Mm-hmm. And it it's a bummer that the PS4 and, I mean, obviously the PS5 now, that they don't have those ways of buying it anymore. like. Even though I'm a person that likes collecting things physically, I I respect the digital preservation when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I thought the PlayStation 3 was cool because it had all these PlayStation 1 classics on there, like, by the buttload. Yeah. And it's sad that they don't do that for, you know, the current gen. I mean, they probably look at it as like, well... Why would want someone want to play one of these older games? They could just go out and, you know, buy it from eBay or something. But I mean, in the end, they're not going to make any money from that. And I think if they were to put all these classics on the current gens, I mean, I think they would see sales. Right. Granted, they would have to, you know, recode it or whatever for the modern systems, but it'd be awesome to have that option out there to keep it alive. Cause I mean, not everyone can download an emulator or has a computer that can run one and, you know, make it simple for people that just want to pick it up and play. Yeah. Cause I mean, these games are getting pricey too. Like legend of dragoon. It's 
for like a greatest hits copy, it's around eh, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. But if you want like the black label, it's it, it's hidden up there in the $80 range, if not higher. And I mean, that's a lot for what it is, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, all those RPGs from that era are over 80 bucks. And, you know, Sony's not making any money from it. And exactly. If they put these digitally, you know, charge 20 bucks. People will buy it, you know, give it that like Nintendo Switch online kind of capability where you could fast forward or, you know, rewind. And I mean, dude, they could do that with all those games and it would just be nice. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, Something I wanted to touch on real quick, too. Yeah. The music. Oh, the yeah. music was really good in this, too. Um, It was done. It was like co-composed between Dennis Martin and. Takio Maratsu, mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. And one was in Japan, one was in America, and basically they had to like send it back and forth and make it work. But Martin had troubles with it because that it, it's a four disc game, you know, and they wanted him. He wanted to focus on more like a percussive, different approach to it. But the team wanted like just stronger melodies and he was worried that, you know, these melodies would get annoying because it's going to be on a loop. Right. And something I really enjoyed about this game is that there was so many different tracks that it was just nice. Like I felt like I wasn't annoyed by the music, which sometimes happens to me in RPGs, you know, because you're always going to have your battle theme. You're always going to have your menu music. And even the menu music in this game was nice. Like, it's just, ah, uh, the sound was good in this game. I I really liked it. And going back to the voice acting, it was, you know, I hear people knocking it. But to me, as someone who plays a lot of games on this console, it's good. It's better than quite a lot of other games I played on it with voice acting. You know, that opening cinematic, it's good. Yeah. That draws you, you know. If you watch that and you don't get drawn in right away, then I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> it's, yeah, I honestly, the sound in the game's good. Music, sound effects, everything. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, yeah, man, like pick up Legend of Dragoon, find a way to play it, get an emulator if you can't. You just absolutely can't or you don't have the time for it. Watch some videos on it because this game deserves to be remembered. And I feel like especially for all you game designers out there, watch some gameplay of this, like really analyze this game because it has a lot of stuff in it that is amazing and needs to be preserved and tweaked and like brought into modern day games because it was ahead of its time for sure. But yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening this week. Uh, We really appreciate you guys. Love y'all. But yeah, bye. Bye.